past couple of years. The word, the new word for reckon, I reckon, is, is legizomai, which sounds like the word logos. It's a form of logos, which is the form, which is word. So, literally in the beginning, God worded the universe into existence. He worded, let there be light. He spoke light into existence. And light doesn't say, well, I don't know. I'm thinking maybe I don't want to be light or be here. No, the light is there. God's word is powerful and effective. And when God words you righteous, it's very powerful. That's who you are. You are righteous in Jesus Christ. All you do is receive the gift of righteousness through faith. And you're righteous. You're forgiven. And we think of the gospel as, well, God declared me righteous and forgives my sins. Let's move on, right? Well, it's way bigger. God declares you righteous and forgives your sins. Jesus was raised from the dead. You have the promise of eternal life. You have the promise of a new body when he comes again. You have the promise of the new heaven and the new earth to live forever. That's, those are important promises, right? And you also have the Spirit. The Gospel is about the Spirit. Also about the Spirit coming to live in you and to empower you to live as a son or daughter of God. In other words, a lot of times we think of uh, the Gospel as a commodity that a clerk pushes across the counter to you, you bought the product, and here it is. And we think of we think of, you know, this is just a bunch of statements and propositions and so forth that we receive by faith. But the gospel is God himself, Jesus Christ himself, living in you. You've been given the Holy Spirit. That's the, that's the great promise of the Old Testament, that God would pour out a spirit on his people and give us new hearts and dwell in us, just like he dwelled in the tabernacle and in the and in the temple of the Old Testament. So you have the Spirit of God in you. You are indwelt by the living God. Wow. You can't yawn at that. You have to. Nobody's yawning right now. You know? so one time I said that, somebody was like, <laughs> I, I, I had to go to them and say, hey, look, I wasn't, I wasn't looking at you. I wasn't, I wasn't going after you. But you, know, you can't yawn. You can't yawn at the fact that the Holy Spirit lives in you. You can't. It is too wonderful. And you know that means if you're a righteous person, uh, it means that this passage is addressed to you because it says here that the prayer of a righteous person has power. Wow. You can't go on that either. In other words, God orders the life of the world Alec Mortier is a great quote. God orders the life of the world through the prayers of his people. You can't yawn at that either. Right, and let's put that truth into practice right now. This is the audience participation. Now, this sermon is about prayer. If you haven't figured that out yet. Um, righteous people in Christ pray effectual prayers. And right now, I want you to pray. As Grant prayed already, it's okay to show some repetition in our prayers. But I want you to pray that God would give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts that glorify Jesus Christ as we continue to worship Him. We've been doing that already. But I want you to pray 
that God would give me the mouth to speak, me ears to hear, and eyes to see the truth of the gospel, just like you. Let's pray together. Prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. 
So I, I want to point this out. See, it's, it's a power, but it's not just an abstract power just floating around. Okay, um, like people would use in meditation or whatever, just to get their minds off the thing. Prayer is an effectual power that gets things done. The reason you can say that with confidence is because the word used for working here, uh, prayer is an effective power. Prayer is a as it is working, and the word used there is energeion, which is, I've shared this with you before, but that word is used mostly in the New Testament. It's a unique word, about 10 or 12 times. It's mostly used in the New Testament to describe supernatural activity, supernatural power, sometimes talking about uh, demonic forces and so forth. But Paul uses that very word to describe what is going to happen when Jesus Christ comes into the world again. He says in Philippians, our citizenship is in heaven. And from there, we eagerly await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power he has, through the working, through the supernatural working that he is able to do, he will transform these lowly bodies to be like his glorious body. So Jesus, the supernatural, one person, one God, who is also a man, he will come and exert that supernatural power and transform, renew the world again. He's going to change the world. He's going to instantaneously, through his powerful word, give you and me glorified bodies, bodies just like his own. He's going to renew everything through his supernatural power. Wow, what a hope. Can't, can't yawn at that. He is God, and what he speaks will be done. Just so you can count on for sure if he has spoken forgiveness into your life, you can count on it. It is for sure, and it has been done. When Jesus comes again, he will make all things new. And here, here's a great mystery. If God has spoken the gospel in your heart, if you've seen the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, if you've seen that God is both righteous and holy. He's holy and righteous, but at the same time, He will not clear the guilty. He's a just God. He forgives. But He will not clear the guilty. How, how does that work? Well, we know how it works with the gospel. But if you believe the gospel, that God has declared you righteous in Jesus and has placed His wrath and His anger on Jesus Christ, you are part of God's new creation. You, you will inherit the earth. And that's great news. Again, you, you can't know that. But it's a great hope. But, but right now, but right now, listen, hear this. The supernatural power of Jesus Christ and his gospel, the word of God, is at work in you. And that gospel power works through you in the world through prayer. That's how it goes out in the world. Look at verse 17 again. The last uh, 17. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Literally again, just like us is what it says. Elijah, he struggled without fear. He struggled with his faith. Go read the story if you don't believe it. He's this great prophet. But he was a struggler just like you and me. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. He's simply praying the word of God, what God promised back in Deuteronomy. Because people were not following him. He would shut the heavens up. And Elijah says, Lord, we're not following you. Do what you said. It was, he was praying God's word. 
so important to, to remember anytime we talk about prayer. But he prayed. Um, then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. And I need to point this out. He says here that he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And, um, you know, a lot of our tra new translations, they're all good. They've all, every translation has some weakness in it. And that's why you need people that can go back and look and compare the text and, and say, hey, this is probably a better way to translate this. But King James uses the word fervently. I think, you know, there's a lot of things from King James that we just kind of keep in our translations just out of respect to the King James Version, which is a great translation. You know, the reformers used it and so forth. Um, but fervently really isn't the best translation. But let me tell you why. Um, you know, and when we read that, this is the danger. We read that and we think, okay, I've got to get myself all worked up with God. I've got to get fervent so He will hear. Right? And we, you know, basically we're, we're praying like the prophets of Baal. You remember that story with, with Elijah? Elijah, he's supervising this contest between Yahweh and Baal. You remember the story? You know, they're going to find out who the true living God is. It's really, it's, it's fun. It's one of those, those uh, amusing truth passages in Scripture. But, you know, who's the real God? Is it Yahweh or Baal? And they build this big altar for sacrifice. And Elijah says, hey, I want you to bring all this water and just bring bucket after bucket after bucket. You know, swimming pool loads of, you know, dump trucks you know, water everywhere. It's like a tsunami on that altar. Uh, and what's so strange about that is that they're in a drought. There's a water shortage. And, you know, people were thinking, does he know what he's doing? All the water we've been storing up, he's just wasting. So it's this very tense story. No rain in three and a half years. That Elijah won't shut up. That's the altar. Let's do more. And let's see whose God will send fire from heaven. And Elijah says, okay, it's your turn. Prophets of Baal, give it your best shot. Hit me with your best shot, right? And the Baal's prophets, they dance around. They, they cut themselves. They're, they're fervent, right? They get all worked up to convince Baal to send the fire. Right? And they're dancing around. Just doing all the things that they do. And God sits there and watches all their foolishness. Elijah watches their foolishness. There's no fire from heaven. Baal is not the true God. But then Elijah prays and God's fire comes and it can, he consumes everything. The sacrifice. He evaporates all the water and, and so forth. But, but here's what I want you to see. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And here's, here's what it literally says. With prayer, he prays. That's what it says. With prayer, he prayed. And so Elijah, with prayer, he prayed. And the rain stopped. Or rain came again. And, uh, and they were fulfilled and they could you know, drink their water and grow their crop do all the stuff they needed to do. Elijah prayed. With prayer, he prayed. And my teacher, Ralph Davis, warned us in seminary, he said, if you're going to teach about prayer, because uh, it comes up a lot, because it's part of the Christian life, uh, but when you preach about, teach about prayer, don't meet, don't meet your people. Uh, don't meet Good counsel, because none of us pray. We all pray every day, sometimes. You pray today? Yeah, probably on the way over here. Or, you know, 
Thank you for patience to watch your kids and car, whatever you're doing. Um, you know, we pray all the time. But uh, none of us pray living this pastor like we all do. And I'll tell you this, it's 65 with my Medicare card. I pray more than I ever had in my life. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and I feel like I need the Lord more than I did when I was 35, 45, 55. I need Him, right? Especially with all this stuff going on in our lives. So. We're praying a lot more. Uh, you know, last night we had a beautiful, beautiful evening. Jackson's there on the couch. Hey, Jack, can you hear me? Yeah. He's, he's on the couch in there with that foot up. Had a great party. Somebody said, hey, y'all, we do around here party. Isn't that great? We just have all these parties. Yeah. But we uh, look back on their lives together and, uh, and all their great stories. And it's just, it was a sweet, sweet evening. Uh, but, you know, I came, we came to Anderson 20 years ago, about um, right now in the year, in, in July, and uh, Jack was the elder in charge of both of And so he and I uh, have become friends, he's, he's a special friend of mine, and um, but I've also been looking back, and as my senior senior pastor's winding down, I've been looking back at the past 20 years, and, uh, and just, by the way, this is my last sermon. As a senior pastor, and this kind of hit me. It's like, it's not the last sermon I'm going to still have Brad preach, but it's kind of like, that kind of feels fun. Uh, uh, maybe it doesn't feel funny to you. It's like, let's get it over with, Rick, it'll be all right. <laughs> but, uh, but you know, anyway, I'm looking back at, at 20 years, and, and uh, you know, the church is still here. That's the good news, right? Still here. We got the church. People are still coming to church, and live people coming. We paid all of our bills. Uh, we supported our missionaries for years. Uh, we supported the school. The school was thriving. We helped send Eric McDaniel to the seminary. We helped Eric get set up in the church revitalization in Jackson, Tennessee. We had a church plant in Jacksonville. Um, we have a, a thriving RUF ministry. Uh, you know, we prayed and Grant came and now Daniel and Courtney are here. Um, wow. We have a children's ministry that I don't realize a lot of work's going into making our children's ministry a gospel, really super gospel-centered ministry. Thank you, Alicia, for helping helping us do that. And other people like Kathy Pope and Christy Cothrow. I, I always call Christy Cothrow, Christy Cothrow. Sorry. So, but, um, all these folks have helped us have a gospel-centered Christian, uh, children's ministry. Our worship. Wow, what a blessing to, to worship with, with you all every Sunday. And the, and the musicians, the guys that sing, I'm like, wow, man, wow, it's just, uh, you know, music is such a big part of all this, but, now, I tricked Grant into being the same pastor. Uh, that's, uh, that was, you know, just a lot of stuff that has happened uh, over 20 years, and I hope that you are encouraged to just rehearse that list and what God has been doing uh, in our lives together. Let me ask you, how many of you pray about any of those? Right about most of them. You pray, you were righteous people. Um, and your prayers have been supernatural. Because we have proved what God's good and perfect will is as we pray. God used your prayers and so forth. And may it continue to be said about Faith Presbyterian Church that we are a people that with prayer they pray. With prayer they pray. <coughs> So prayer is a power waiting to be released. Prayer is effectual. 
And we need to remember it and go back and say, wow, God really did, especially the corporate prayers, the body of Christ. Uh, it's, it's so effective. And here's the last thing uh, about uh, what supernatural prayer is, what the prayer of faith is. Prayer is a supernatural power, but you have to remember the power is like faith. There's, your faith is it's like me at the police station. There ain't no power. It's just me showing up with empty hands. That's, that's what prayer and faith are really the same thing. The power, yes, it is powerful. God uses it, but I don't bring any power to prayer. You don't bring any power to prayer. You just bring faith and trust that God would exert His power in response to our prayers. And again, God, but God does use your prayers and my prayers to affect the world. I don't know how that happens. I don't get it. Right? I don't get that. But God invites you and me to affect the world around us to, in other words, to discover His good and perfect will in the world around us. Because God's will, Jesus prayed, make your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And, you know, if Jesus prayed that, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And, and that means if you pull it down to its roots, the prayer of faith is really just discovering God's will. That's what it is. Just discovering God's good and perfect will. And God's will is always good and it's always perfect. Because that's the kind of God He is. He's gracious as a Father and He wants our best. And His prayer is like what Paul says in Romans chapter 12. He says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to look back at the gospel, look back at what God has done. And forgive us through Jesus Christ. He's declared you to be righteous. He's forgiven your sins. He's poured out the Holy Spirit in you. Remember all those things. In view of God's mercy to you, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Okay? Do not conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do you do that? You pray. Read the scripture. Try to pray in line with the scripture. Listen to what God is saying to you. Listen to what your brothers and sisters say about the word of God. Praying and renewing your mind. What is God's will? What is it? Then you will be able to test and prove what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Again, in view of God's mercy, in view of God's love for you in the gospel, present your body, live a life of worship. All of life is worship. Live to follow Jesus in view of His mercy. In view of God's mercy. I want to say this about the gospel and God's mercy. I, I, I found a quote this week um, that I'll be using uh, Lord willing the rest of my life as I talk about um, the Lord. But C.S. Lewis says this, he says, love is not an affectionate feeling. There are, there are affections in in, your, in love. But a steady wish for the loved person's ultimate good. A steady wish for the first loved person's ultimate good as far as it can be obtained. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? Love is not an affectionate feeling, but a steady wish for the loved person's ultimate good as far as it can be obtained. Who in your life right now are you steadfastly loving and wishing for their ultimate good? You probably made a lot of that's what I think is 
a great definition. And the good news of the gospel is that God will always obtain your ultimate good. It's not, you know, as far as, I want, as, far as it's up to me, I would like to, I wish for your ultimate good. But I'm going to, I might be saved, lose my mind, or get over who I was, or whatever. Uh, I'm not going to be here forever. But God, from all eternity, has been, had a steadfast wish for your ultimate good. Yeah, y'all are bad Right? And God makes us that promise in the gospel. And so, in light of God's promises for your good, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. This is your true and proper worship. Again, all of life is worship, and you ought to be praying all the time. Paul says, pray without ceasing. And here's the parallel, if you haven't made that connection yet, the parallel with prayer and discovering God's will. As you present your body, as you live your life of faith together, in the body of Christ. As you step out in faith, you prove God's will. You prove it. That's how you do it. You step out in faith, meaning you're not really sure, but you will prove it in time. And, and that means that you don't always get life right the first time. God gives you room to make mistakes. And the coolest thing about it is that God uses the mistakes and the hard things to prove His will. And he, builds, he doesn't waste anything in your life. He uses the failures. He uses the, the bad decisions. He, he, uses, he uses all of it to prove his will, which is for your ultimate good. Right? And that's, that's the best thing about working with the elders of the Presbyterian Church these past 20 years. Uh, they, they always said, you know, that list we went down? You know, uh, give it a shot. That work, we always do something else. That's what they've always said. As a pastor, you know, we're the, the neck that turns the head in the session, so, so forth. We think, I think the Lord's doing this. And they've always said, give it a try. Let's try. Let's pray about it. We can always do something else. In other words, what does that mean? We're going to prove God's will together. We're going to prove His good and perfect will together. But again, we don't always get it right. There's some things, some decisions we make that have to make sure that, but we don't need to go in that direction. But that's part of learning God's will. But again, that is so freeing to know that you can be wrong. And you're not going to be condemned. And, and you, you just don't have to have it all figured out. Is anybody here that knows exactly what to do every time? No, that's because you're not God. And that's why we need to go to Him together. Um, as the body of Christ and discover His will through prayer together. And, and I've said this a thousand times. You know, I'm going, I'm in this transition. I'm going to Columbia on Tuesday. Um, Neil was a great encouragement to me last night. Neil's been down there. Neil's been, it's like everywhere. It's like Walter. Right? <laughs> um, but uh, it's, it's really gave me great comfort to, to speak to him. He's such an encouragement. It's an encouragement. But uh, I, I, again, I've said this a thousand times. I'm so glad that you're praying for me. I don't have to figure this out by myself. And, uh, and I guess this is the selfish benefit of being a pastor. Uh, thank you for praying. Uh, thank you for helping me to figure out God's good and perfect will. Thank you so much for that. Um, all the pressure is off. The prayer, the last thing is, 
in reality in the world. Is that not the way the world works? Just try this trial and error and, and figuring out and depending on one another so forth. But uh, prayer and stepping out in faith, living by faith is like that is reality. Christianity is reality. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, and that means that Christianity, like life, is full of tension. It's full of tension. Is that not true? For example, is, is God's word God's word or is it man's word? I love this. Yes. Is Jesus Christ God or is Jesus Christ man? Yes. 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 Is God one God or is God community? They community. One God of three persons. Yes. <laughs> yes. Is God sovereign? Or am, am I supposed to pray and live by faith? Am I responsible to pray and live by faith? Or is God sovereign? Which is it? Yes, it's both. That's the way Christianity is. That's the way reality is. It's a beautiful reality when you learn to walk together by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. So in other words, prayer is a paradox, but it is a powerful paradox. It's powerful. It's a powerful. And so pray, pray with prayer. Just like Elijah. And pray with prayer. It's a great gift. Prayer is a great gift. It's a, it's a great expression and experience of communion with God and one another. What a gift to be able to talk to God, to walk with Him and do it today like Adam did. And to hear His voice through His Word, and to hear His voice through the body of Christ as we rely on God's Word to us. What, what a great blessing. So, when do you, this is quick here, okay, hang in there, hang in there, we will force the nation line. When do we use this powerful paradox called prayer? When do we use it? Well, again, Paul says all life is worship, we pray without ceasing. And James gives us five areas uh, that where we should exercise prayer, especially with one another as we do life together in the body of Christ. That's our theme for from uh, the book of James, life together. So how do we pray? When do we pray together? Look at verse 13. Let's go through this for our application. Is anyone among you suffering? Yes, I did. I've seen it over and over and over again. God is faithful. 
Aunt Molly, Catherine's aunt right there, said that they're, they want to see you. They want to see Catherine's husband. And they said, that's him. And I'm going like, what in the world? My wife's dead. What's going on? And uh, I went in to talk to the doctor, and it's the most sheepish I've ever seen a physician. And he just said, I don't know what happened. I was on the CAT scan, but it wasn't there when we opened her up. I mean, she can't wear the bikini anymore. But, um, that, that's the that's bad. But the good news was that he was gone. Yeah. I, and I don't know what happened. I don't think I just messed that up. You know, all, all my stuff, he Presbyterian said, how much are you going to sue him for? And the years back, Presbyterian said, praise the Lord. And so he said, I don't know what happened, and I just praise God in the, in the midst of that. And when we pray for somebody, we do anoint people with oil in our church. And the prayers are both ways when we pray. Lord, you can't heal. We know the Lord can heal that person. But he may choose not to, or that person's ultimate good. Wow. You think that's hard to talk about? What about the last situation? This is really the last thing. Hang in there. I believe this is a lot. You know, this is a lot of passage to preach on. Okay? Cut me a little slack. It's my last one. To sing about. But, but uh, uh, the last situation is the hardest, and it, it hits home to a lot of us. It says, "My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back the sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins." What do you do? have a friend or a family member who is not interested in Christianity. Does that happen to any of you? You ever had that experience? You don't give up? You pride. What else you got? You pride. And here's where you go back to that great parable that where Jesus tells us it's a precious, precious story to all of us, like all of the stories are. But this is especially moving to um, my heart. It's about the widow and the unjust judge. And listen to these powerful words of Jesus Christ. He says, it says, Then Jesus told the disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. That's the point. It's so cool when they tell you. Luke just tells you, this is, this is the point of parable. It's easy to preach this one. You should always pray and never give up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. And for some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I don't see to it that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and wear me out. And the Lord said, this is what Jesus said, listen to what the unjust judge says, and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see to it that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Don't try to argue people into the kingdom of God. You cannot do it. Just pray with prayer for them. That's what you do. And I have seen that, my friend, work so many times in the lives of my loved ones. 
seeing people go astray, but God has brought them back into the flock. They've been, been praying for years. I've been praying occasionally for them as well. But this is the best thing you can do to somebody who's wondering. This is the best thing, best thing you can do. Not in a canny way, but you can ask them this question. How can I pray for How can I pray for them? And they may get snarky with you, but most people won't. They, they really won't. But this is why you need to do that. They need to know that you have a steady wish for their ultimate good. And that you will do whatever you can to help them, but mostly you are praying for them. And one day, by God's grace, maybe they will see that from all eternity, God has had a steady wish for their ultimate good in the gospel. In other words, pray for this person to know the love of God, how deep and wide and high it is in Jesus Christ. God has always had a steady wish for your ultimate good. He will continue to have and live out that wish in your life forever and ever. Come to this table and feed on his heart by faith.